0: My reading? My reading? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm just checking that. I was about to supplant somebody else's place by reading it. Um, I'm going to read it to you. It's page 1009, Mark chapter 6, and verse 30. You'll know the story well, almost certainly. The apostles, that's Jesus' friends, gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said to Jesus, "Uh, five and two fish. When Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, and so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Then he took uh, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. It's well known, it's almost a, a, a sort of byword, that Christians are those who do good works. Whether you're feeding the poor in Calcutta as Mother Teresa whether you're trying to abolish the slave trade as William Wilberforce, whether simply people like Tear Fund and other Christian charities or churches or organisations, the fact that Christians are meant to do good to the fellow woman and man and child is not terribly surprising. As parents of Katie May and as William, as any of the parents sitting here, I suspect any of us in our better moments would have a great high hope for our children that they wouldn't simply go through life earning a decent living and being lucky in love. Actually, we really hope they'll do good. We really hope that they'll do the sorts of things that make a difference in their world. We really hope that they'll be the sort of people that make the world a better place. But the question is how? How's it gonna happen? Does it happen through guilt? Does it happen through simply um, having to ignore the fact the world is far, far beyond anything that we can uh, do, these overwhelming needs, and just blind ourselves to most of them and pick one? And for that matter, what's God got to do with any of it? Surely this is me just working hard to be a good human being towards my fellow human beings. What does it mean... To make a difference. For that matter, to use the theme of our sermon series, this term of good news, what does it mean not just to tell people the good news, but to be good news for others? Well, I think as we read this story, that's incredibly well known and rightly that it should be. It's the one miracle of Jesus that is in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They all thought this was a really important moment in Jesus's life and ministry. But I think as we read it, if we've got eyes and ears for them, there are three questions, actually three surprises in the story that ought to make us sit up and take notice and that help us to think about how is it that we can be good news? For that matter, how is it that Katie May or William will grow up to be good news for the world in which they live and to do good to their fellow human beings? Look, the first question um, is easy to miss, but it's this. Why... Don't the disciples bother to try and feed the crowd themselves? Why are they so keen to get rid of them? Now, on the face of it, uh, there are several reasons. One of them is simply that they're tired and actually rather down. If you were to read the story that comes before this, in fact, the couple of two or three stories that come before this, they've had some incredible highs and some incredible lows. The incredible high has come from the fact that they have just got back from an amazing adventure. Jesus had sent his apostles, the disciples, out two by two to go to the villages around to tell people the good news of Jesus, to heal the sick, to free people from evil, to make a difference wherever they've gone. And everywhere they've gone, they've seen incredible things happen. They've absolutely been on a high. But we all know that if you're on a, a real buzz and a high of something that's gone fantastically wrong, you're sort of waiting for the bang. And that's exactly what happens, because what they find is that John, who we know is John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, has been beheaded by Herod, this terrible megalomaniac king who is willing to give in to the demands uh, of his daughter. They've gone from this great high to a terrible tragedy. And On top of all of that, from the highs to the lows, they've just had the unrelenting pressure of people wanting a bit of them. People keep coming to see Jesus. It says that there were so many people coming, verse 31, that they didn't even have a chance to eat. So they've had a great high, they've had a terrible low, and they're just shattered. And so Jesus has looked at them and said, you know, you need a rest. He's taken them away to a remote and a lonely place, and then they are deluged by people again. You see, Jesus' reputation went far and wide. And all they could see was demands. Can you you imagine yourself there? You are shattered. You are pretty down. You are thinking back thinking, it was only a week ago, and we were so excited, it was all going so well. well. What fools we are. And now all these people, they just want something of us. Of course, they couldn't see straight. They couldn't see the real need that was there. But it says that Jesus did. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, now bear in mind, that's the same large crowd that the disciples saw. He doesn't see something different. It's the same sort of eyes, the same crowd, the same circumstances, but he sees differently. And what he sees is that he allows what he sees to connect with his heart, with his emotions. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, in the end, with various variations as to which particular paper we buy or which particular channel we watch, we all see the same news. Unless we deliberately avoid it, most of us will have picked up that at some place in the world there has been disaster upon disaster over the past week. You'll have heard something about Syria. You'll maybe have heard about Vanuati. You'll know um, of the, the, the terrible deprivations in all sorts of different bits of the world. You and I see pretty much the same things. The question is whether we allow what we see to connect with our hearts. Jesus saw and felt compassion. And compassion is a word that describes a feeling that propels you into action. You simply cannot sit still if you feel compassion. It's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. If you feel compassion towards somebody, you've got to do something for them. The key for Christians in being good news is to pray the most dangerous prayer that you can ever pray. It's to pray this and simply this. Father God, help me to see as you see. Father God, help me to see as you see. Why is that dangerous? Because as God sees this world in need, it tears his heart apart with compassion. And he acts. The question is, would we dare? Do we dare to look at the world that God has made that is so ripped apart by humanity's inhumanity to one another and allow it to touch our hearts and to act I'll tell you, ask you this even harder question. Do you dare to pray that for your children? Do you pray that your children will be compassionate people? Because if you do, you're praying on the one hand, the most remarkable, wonderful thing you could ever pray, and you're also knowing that you're praying pain for them. Because the only way of avoiding pain in this world is not to care, isn't it? If you don't care what happens to other people, you can pretty much insulate your heart. The moment you allow what you see to connect with your heart, there is pain. But if it's compassion, if it's God's compassion, then it propels you into action. That's what the follower of Jesus ought to be doing. That's what the disciples had to learn from Jesus. So that's the first thing. They had to see as Jesus saw. Dare we pray that prayer for ourselves? Here's the second surprise. The second surprise, actually, when we think about it, is to ask the question, well, okay, we understand why the disciples didn't really want to be bothered. They were tired. They were fed up. They were self-centered. Just wanted to go home and rest but why did Jesus bother I mean after all Jesus surely had more important things to do I mean he had preaching to be done now to be fair he's done some preaching it says one of the things that he did as a result of his compassion verse 34 wasn't straight away to feed them what he did was he taught them because part of his compassion wasn't simply for their hunger which he knew was to come it was for their spiritual need and so he taught them many things you know, over 2,000 years, the Christian church has swung like a pendulum between, on the one hand, thinking the only thing Christians should do is to tell people the good news, because that's about their eternal destiny. Or it's swung the other way, to think that Christians should only be bothered about the needs of this world, because that's compassionate. The point is that Jesus does both. It's much more like riding a bike with two pedals, you generally can't push both at once, or else if you, you know if you ride a bike, you try and push both pedals at once, you generally fall off. Actually, you need to push the one that's up. You need to push the one that's in front of you. This is what Jesus does. Initially, he teaches them. That's the pedal. He tells them about spiritual things. That's him living out his compassion. And then, he feeds them. The Christian church is to do both. To tell the good news, and to be the good news. It shouldn't be about choosing between them. That's why as a church, we try and push both pedals. We try and meet the spiritual needs of people, preaching and worship and the Why Jesus Course and uh, any number of things. But we also try and compassionately meet the physical needs of people and the emotional needs of people through English conversation classes or the food bank or uh, supporting an advice centre or uh, delivering meals to people. For that matter, by being generous with our money when it's people overseas who need our help. We want to do both. You push the pedal that's up and you don't look at it and go, "Mm, no, that's not my thing. We tell the good news and we're to be the good news. That's why Jesus bothered. So the first thing we're to do is to ask to see the world the way that God sees the world. The second thing we're to do is to see the real needs that are there and to aim to meet them as far as we're able. Here's the biggest surprise of all. I don't know whether you've ever wondered this. Why on earth, when Jesus has worked out that his disciples simply don't get it, when he's made it pretty clear to them that they simply don't have enough food to feed them? I don't know whether you can visualise 5,000 people. In fact, it was more than 5,000 people. In those days, you tended to count the men only. I'm really sorry, that was the culture of the day. So you then have to at least think about tripling it, quadrupling it, or more women, children. So we're talking about 20,000 maybe? So you can visualise 20,000. If you're in Twickenham Stadium, that's sort of one end of the ground. So you're there and Jesus says to you, there you go, feed them. I think it was quite impressive they worked out that quickly that it would cost that much. I don't know where they plucked a number out of the air and Jesus sort of smiled at them benignly and went, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I would just be going, that's a fortune, can't do it. Jesus doesn't dig- disagree with them. And then he says, well, what have you got? They're going, oh, for goodness sake, if we had the food, we'd have fed them. This is all going on behind scenes. I mean, they don't say this to Jesus. You've got to assume that there's this internal dialogue going on where they're just thinking, what is he doing? We don't have the food. But they said, that's fine, Jesus, we'll go off and find out. And one of the other Gospels we find, it's one little boy. It's pretty much his pack lunch. Five little loaves. I mean, by loaves, we're not talking 800 gram, you know, farmhouse bloomers. We're talking probably little rolls. Five little rolls two bits of dried fish have you ever wondered why on earth they bring this to jesus are they trying to rub his nose in it are they trying to say to jesus jesus what are you playing at look there was probably a bit more food about than that there would have been a bit more about they just they're making the point to jesus we don't have it send them away so what you expect jesus to do at that point is simply to go leave it to me i'm going to show you a great miracle Then he's going to prick up stones from the ground, or he's going to wave his hands, or he's going to pray a prayer, and we would say, magically, food is going to appear. Isn't that what we'd have done in Jesus' case? I mean, this is the creator of the universe, Christians believe. This is the one who made all things. Surely he could do that by himself, without any bread and fish. It's not the way God works. God didn't make you to be a spectator on what he does. He made you to be a teammate, a cooperator, a, a collaborator, a, somebody with him in what he does. So he takes the little that they can offer and makes something remarkable from it. And those of you who are parents or remember what it was like to be a child will remember that there are many points in parenting where you do something with your child that you would far, 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 far more easily, and definitely far quicker to do by yourself. I mean, you name it, almost always it's quicker to do it as an adult, isn't it? So if you're doing baking, if it was simply about efficiency and good taste, some of us would say, I do it better by myself. Now, in our household, i have to say, my son is a better baker than I am. But that's fine, that's an exception. But for the most part, as parents, we say, well, I could do it quicker. Why do we do it then? Well, we do it about, it's about relationship, isn't it? We do it because that's about being a parent and about being a child, about learning about what's important, about doing stuff together. God looks at you and doesn't go, I could do it quicker by myself. He says, I want you on board. I want to use the little that you have to offer, the little energy, the little time, the few pounds, the few gifts and skills, your availability, your compassionate heart. I'm going to use the little that you offer and I'm going to do something staggering. That's what he offers. That's what's happening here. Jesus takes five little loaves, two fish, and he feeds maybe 20,000 people. Could have done it by himself, but he doesn't. So the disciples had to learn three things. You and I have got to go on learning three things. We have to learn to see the world through God's eyes. Dare we pray that for ourselves? Dare we pray for Katie May and for William and for our children? Because with that comes compassion. Pain that propels us into action. Secondly, they had to learn to actually see the real needs that were there, spiritual and physical. I don't think the Bible makes nearly as neat distinction between the two as we do. I'm using those as labels. And thirdly, maybe most importantly, we have to see this is God's work. But he wants us in on it. He wants us to cooperate with him. So here's the challenge. What might your eyes see this week and your family in a colleague, in your workplace, in the school playground, that last week you would have allowed just to go past but this week will pain your heart. What will you feel compassionately about? To whom will that compassion attach? Secondly, will you see the real needs that are there? And thirdly, will you bring to your Heavenly Father the little that you have, that little bit of time, the last little bit of energy, the few pounds that you have spare or even not to spare and trust that your Heavenly Father, whoever you are, whether you think you're miles on and like a disciple or whether you're just at the back wondering about faith, that God says to you, let's do this together. It's an incredible challenge. It's an amazing privilege And it's the best thing we could pray for William and Katie May as they head into their baptised life and follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him we see you living and walking and speaking and acting. Thank you that in him we see the compassion of God that propels us into action. Thank you that in Jesus you both told us and lived out for us the good news thank you most of all heavenly father that in your grace you invite us to be part of what you're doing today this week every day and we pray for William we pray for Katie May we pray for each of us that as we grow we would grow in grace and compassion and make the world a different place because we've done so with you and in Jesus name we pray amen John and the band are going to lead us in uh, maybe a couple of songs uh, to uh, draw our service towards a close. And as we do so, this is an opportunity, whether you've ever done so before, to talk to God. Even if you're still working out whether he's there or not or what he's like, you're allowed to simply in your own heart say to him, if you're there, I'd like to be part of that. If you're there, I'd like to be part of your family making a difference. And if you've known him for years, maybe this is a chance to, just as we sing, open up our hearts afresh and pray the most dangerous prayer of all. Help me to feel how you feel about this world in need. Let's stand and sing together.